Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today, we're both super excited. We're going to be talking about Boy State, which will be coming out tomorrow on Apple TV Plus in partnership with A24. So excited to talk about this movie. But before we get into Boy State, we have some updates, mostly on new movies coming out and some trailers. So we got two new trailers this week that were, I thought, pretty exciting. We got the I'm Thinking of Ending Things trailer, Charlie Mm -hmm. Kaufman's new movie that's coming out via Netflix. And we've talked about this movie on previous episodes before as one of our most anticipated movies of the year. And the trailer did not disappoint. It looked like, I would say, a more surrealist version of what I was picturing from the book. But I think based on the trailer alone, I am excited for the Charlie Kaufman and Lucas Zoll, the cinematographer. I'm excited for that team up. What did you think of this trailer? Super unsettling. You can't be disappointed by Tony Collette. So really anything in the cast overall, Jesse Buckley, I'm excited for it. I love to feel uncomfortable during these Mm -hmm. types of movies, and I can't wait. It looks... Like I said, very different from what I was imagining in the book, but I think that I'm excited for it. I think it'll be really interesting. And we also got a trailer for Judas and the Black Messiah, which I thought was the best trailer I've seen in a minute, really. It looks so good. Yeah, I was going to say best trailer this year, for sure. Yeah, so if you haven't watched this trailer yet, definitely watch it. This film is directed by Shaka King, and it stars Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, two of my favorites, and it's a biographical drama about Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party in the 60s. This won't be released until 2021, so you do have time, but a really impressive trailer that when I watched it, I thought, I can't wait for this movie. Wait. Also Jesse Plemons, right? And Jesse Plemons. We have two (laughs) Jesse Plemons trailers that day. (laughs) it starts off with like a clicking and it just it wraps you in it's exactly what a trailer should be and i am excited especially because it's based on true events Mm -hmm. it's going to be intense for sure we also got a little bit of a teaser for the dune trailer wait i haven't seen this you haven't oh my gosh (sighs) so okay no trailer yet but timothy chalamet was responding to a fan on twitter and he just said trailer before september and then with the a little emoji with the zipped up mouth <laughs> so a trailer's coming soon that's so exciting oh my gosh i'm glad it's still happening and they haven't said anything about delaying it past november well you know what i bet it's gonna be i bet that when tenant premieres abroad they're gonna get the <gasps> dune trailer the trailer that's I really bet. smart actually yeah because tenants in two weeks two to three weeks mm-hmm. Ooh. I'm Oof. getting chills. <laughs> I know. What are you more excited for, Tenet or the Dune trailer? Oh, Dune, for sure. I think it was kind of like when you saw the last Star Wars, the best part of that experience, if you saw it in IMAX, was getting the Tenet trailer. <laughs> the trailer. So I think that will be a similar thing here, potentially. And we also, so going away from trailers for a minute, we got, I would say, the most exciting film news I've maybe experienced in my whole entire life. <laughs> Which is that Bradley Cooper, according to The Hollywood Reporter, has joined Paul Thomas Anderson's ensemble for his new movie. And 
His new movie is unnamed right now, but it's a coming of age story about a high school student who is also a successful child actor in the 70s in the San Fernando Valley. So what do you think about this? This probably isn't as exciting for you as it is for me, but just first impressions generally. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't have mentioned these in the pod today, but I know you love (laughs) these both and the next one, but... PTA has never disappointed. And I think his casting and budgets have gotten bigger. And you just like to see him doing more each time. So, I mean, maybe this is like a 2021 early best actor nom for Bradley Cooper for PTA. Yeah. I think that Oscar nomination number nine is coming Bradley Cooper's way. And I think that what I am so excited for, what we know about Bradley Cooper is that he is committed to whatever role is coming his way. He's going to be committed to it. And knowing what we know about PTA and how he works with actors after we've seen, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Joaquin Phoenix, Daniel Day-Lewis, Amy Adams, wonderful actors. Now adding Bradley Cooper to that, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see what happens. And I also am so curious about what his role will be because if he is a 70s high school teacher, I might need to be taken to the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because you mentioned high school. So there has Mm -hmm. to be younger characters too. So he's either like a future grown-up or a teacher. Very excited for this. So we will be talking about this a lot, but this is our first bit about it. So we had to, the second I heard the news, we'd already recorded Thursday's episode, so the previous weeks, and I was like, can we add this in? I need to talk about this, but... Had to just sit on it for a little bit. (laughs) And our other bit of news that we got is that Ben Affleck is set to direct The Big Goodbye for Paramount, which is an adaptation of the Sam Wasson book, The Big Goodbye, Chinatown, and the Last Years of Hollywood. So this book tells the story of the making of the Hollywood classic Chinatown. Before we talk about this a little further, how do you feel about Chinatown? I'm scared to ask you. It's not a favorite of mine, but I can definitely see us doing a pod next year comparing the two. I don't really know much about this history, too, because this is like 70s, right? Yeah, 74. So again, to me, this is more of a... Me thing. Keep scrolling. (laughs) Okay, so I love Chinatown. It is one of my favorite movies, but I have never read this book and I really need to. When I saw that this movie was coming out, I got really excited because this, of course, was a big deal back in the 70s for Paramount with Robert Evans, the iconic producer. So I'm very excited to read this story before the movie comes out, now knowing I have time. Mm -hmm. But I do have to say I'm not that excited for Ben Affleck to direct it. Yeah, that seems uh... odd. I mean, he's done good work before, but yeah. But I kind of felt the same way. Well, we'll look forward to that. We'll have a Chinatown pod in the future where you will not agree with me on anything, but it's okay. Well, thank you for letting me share all of my news. <laughs> so one other thing that I think came out this week is that Disney is relenting. They're releasing Mulan on Disney Plus mm-hmm. for $30. There was a little bit of an uproar, and... I've had conversations about will Mulan make the money back? Yeah. It has to at least make two to two twenty five to get this back. And I think that's definitely doable. Do you feel like people are gonna fork out thirty extra dollars to what they're paying for the streaming platform or 
Yeah, I think that they will. And quite honestly, you know, I'm the wrong demographic here. As a 27-year-old who doesn't have kids, who doesn't have roommates, like, I'm the wrong person to be asking, like, how do I feel about spending $30 on Mulan? Because this decision is not made with me in mind. But if family, you know, let's say Mulan, let's say we're out of COVID, Mulan came out, and you're a family of four, you're going to spend way more than $30 going to see Mulan. Mm -hmm. So do you know, is there a rental window? Is it like 48 hours, like a normal VOD? That's what I was wondering too, is that if people have to pay multiple times, like I assume they did for Trolls, and that's why it did Mm -hmm. so well, I wonder what that's going to be like because that'll definitely drive up revenue as well even if 50 percent of disney plus subscribers buy mulan it's going to make way more than its budget it's going to make that back it's like a quarter of the people who currently have disney plus which skyrocketed after hamilton but even Mm -hmm. if a quarter pay they're already making 450 million which is insane that's crazy and children love watching things over and over and over again maybe i'm a child in that way because all i do is rewatch old movies but i mean a parent could just just like with trolls world tour i mean you watch mulan as many times as you can in the 48 hours and then two weeks pass and the kid wants to watch it again what are you gonna do i mean the other side to this is How successful was Mulan in Disney's filmography? Is there going to be some disappointing component with having a race commentary in there? It's a live action remake. Probably Mm -hmm. won't be as much music. So there are a lot of factors that can hurt the movie, unfortunately. I want this to do really well, and I'm excited Mm -hmm. to see it. It's probably the biggest blockbuster this year, besides Mm -hmm. In the Heights, that I was really excited to see. After this trailer came out, which looked impressive. Mulan, when I was a kid, was one of my favorite Disney movies. And one thing I really love about Mulan was the music. I think the music is so good Mm -hmm. and so much fun. And the story is so empowering and taught me a lot as a kid. And knowing that they did take away the music, that scared me a little bit when I read that. But I think it will do really well. I hope there's some sort of at least a drive-in release, too. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard anything about that, though. I feel like there should be, but I'm excited to see it, though. Mm -hmm. Okay, a little off track. (laughs) but (laughs) It's okay. let's, Let's talk about Boy State again. So let's tell our listeners what this is exactly about a little bit more. So first thing, Boy State, which is the actual name of a program where boys go to their state capital in their respective states and form these mock governments. There's also a nation level and a girl's state and nation as well. But in this case, we're talking about Texas. So there were 1,100 17-year-old boys from Texas who came together in Austin in order to build a mock government from the ground up. So they're separated into two parties, the Federalists and the Nationalists. The program tries to separate it from Republican and Democrat because they they want them to bring up their own ideas and form their own parties based on their collective group, which I think is interesting. What were your first reactions to seeing it, everything? Wow, that was my first reaction. I was so impressed. I felt that it was an emotionally raw modern day Lord of the Flies. It is just, it's a really gripping documentary that I feel tells a necessary story 
especially for 2020. What mm-hmm. did you think about it? I was way more emotional than I expected to be by mm-hmm. a documentary about young men discussing politics. Mm-hmm. I was immediately gripped by everything. And I think this trailer came out maybe a month or two ago. And even that, the pacing was was setting up this great story. And I've seen a couple Q&As with the directors Amanda mm-hmm. McBain and Jesse Moss, and they talk about how they went way ahead of schedule for pre-production, seeing who is going to be attending, interviewing these boys, and picking ones out to follow through this process. And knowing who they pick and the experience that they show happening is chilling because it's so powerful. And mm-hmm. I think every step of the way is done so beautifully. It really is. And the subjects that they chose for this documentary ended up being so captivating and so different and having such layered, complex experiences and emotions. And thinking again about my first impressions and what really stood out to me about this was there's a moment where one of the subjects, Rob, he's kind of pandering for signatures and he's Mm -hmm. saying... A whole lot of nothing, which is what a lot of politicians do. But he says to the future, when someone asks him what he's, what his platform is or what he's interested in, he just says to the future. And that line really was something that stuck with me through the documentary because I just thought, this is where we're headed. Whether we like it or not, these are our future leaders. Because how the film operates as a microcosm of American politics and of our democracy showcasing all of its flaws, showing how broken it is. It is thrilling and horrifying and you have nothing to do but unfortunately put faith in something that's broken and try to find the good things in it. And you do in this film. I think that's why it's good because you can come away inspired, not just broken down. I was worried throughout at times because I was getting so angry at certain statements that were made and beliefs that these boys had, but I was left hopeful at the end. So along the way, we follow a few of the boys. You mentioned Rob. There's also Ben, Renee, and Steven. Those are like the big four. They sure are. They are all so unique. It's interesting to see the introduction to them. So Ben, for example, is a double amputee due to meningitis. And he's really gung-ho running for governor. So governor is the highest position you can run for. Mm -hmm. And then Rob also comes in. Like you said, he's having people sign signatures. Ben is definitely more calculated. He's talking to Mm -hmm. somebody who's also running. And he's like, yeah, I'm running. But he's like, we haven't set up the platform yet. How do you know what you're running for? And he's like, freedom. And it's such a vague (laughs) answer. I think while we're talking about these two, it's fascinating to me that these directors found these two boys who so embody how we view politicians and people who work in politics. Because you have Ben, who is this shrewd, calculated, like you said, politician who seems to understand the machinations of the system so much better than everyone else. He almost, he operates in a way that is similar to an Iago or some type of Shakespearean villain character in the documentary. I wouldn't call him a villain. I think that that doesn't, that word is 
loaded and in a documentary especially about politics it's challenging but he operates more along the lines of say a a whip right and then you have rob who is just this charismatic guy who you can tell just he wants to be in politics because he's thrilled by the the emotion and he has the charisma and charm to get people behind him you bring up a good point about villains i think this movie does so well and i think we've seen a trend in recent cinema history of blurring the lines between villain and hero of the story and i think in this movie particularly these boys mature so much even over the week yeah i didn't mention that so the this program (laughs) this program is for one week so they have to do everything it's very concentrated and sped up But you can see by the end how mature they become. And even Ben and Rob, how they differ, yet how they're so motivated to be in politics. There Mm -hmm. are so many different personalities. I mean, Rob, I have, I really don't want to spoil this for people. We'll give you some quotes and things that I think come out for the characters that we found important and indicative of modern day American politics, but we won't spoil who wins any elections or how it ends. Because I think that's so important Mm -hmm. when you're watching it to be hanging on that and really have it be a surprise. We could talk about the ending even in relation to everything and how it affects politics in general. But we will save that. My comment, I think the power in Rob as a politician is that he's able to see the good in other people, whereas I feel like in politics today, you don't find that often. Or at least mm-hmm. you see the smear campaigns, which maybe we'll get into more, which relates to Ben. But we haven't mm-hmm. even talked about two other characters. <laughs> I know, I know, right? I have so many thoughts. I'm just like going to wait until later to bring up. So we also have two other characters that we focus on. Steven Garza, who, oh my gosh, this boy. He is just his motivations for being in politics he is one of those people who remains inspired and hopeful even though he knows our system is broken and he first we're introduced to him he's this much quieter attendee of boy state and he we find out is he was born to mexican immigrants and he we're introduced to him he's wearing a Beto for Texas shirt (laughs) and he's very progressive he talks about how Bernie Sanders was responsible for getting him into politics and Mm -hmm. he likes learning about politics and seeing how that works we see him going out and canvassing to voters so in contrast with Rob who is very charismatic Stephen seems much more altruistic and I also might be biased because his personal politics align much more closely to mine mm-hmm. than the other subjects do, but he's a very interesting person to follow as this kind of quieter leader. What did you think about him? He's definitely the character that we're supposed to be drawn to and he's mm-hmm. the reason for a lot of the emotion because he is this underdog who comes in and He's so genuine with everybody he meets. And in the end, he's so thankful for this experience because of the friends he's made. And I could tear up right now thinking about that scene. He's so eloquent in all of his speeches. He's just somebody you want to root for. Mm -hmm. And it's so inspiring and exciting to see that 
since Boys State, he's continued to pursue and speak at different events. I think he spoke at the DNC. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that this documentary made me hopeful. And Stephen is why it made me hopeful. I feel like I'm going to start crying right now, too, thinking about this. The fury that I felt hearing a bunch of 17-year-old boys puffing their chests out and talking about how pro-life they are, I cannot describe to you how angry I felt. But seeing someone like Steven, this leader, who, in spite of everything else, pushed on and was committed to caring about issues that are really important, even though he was the underdog, that is what you know, at the end of the day makes me think we are living in this horror of a time. But there are people like him who we have to have faith in because they're the ones who are going to create change, who are going to lobby for gun reform, who are going to stick up for people even though they have different identities than they do and that aren't afraid or willing to compromise their positions just for power. Steven makes it a point to go around and talk to every single person who he gets signatures from and to find out what they think, what they want, the laws they want to put into action. It's frustrating because so you think of Texas and you think red state. A lot of these boys have a lot of conservative comments. The fourth boy is his name is Rene Otero. The what's interesting about him specifically is that the directors found him during the shoot. So during the program, they hadn't found him earlier and they were so inspired by his speech to become party chair that they asked him, "Hey, can we follow you for the week?" and they were not disappointed. We were not disappointed. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> He's also so well spoken. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple times throughout where you're just rooting for him so hard and he prevails mm-hmm. and especially the one scene. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, he so. is an amazing sense of humor and he just, he's a great subject for a documentary. And I think one of the things that these directors do is, is that boys day is verite. It's not them crafting this narrative and following it. It's, just letting these boys show who they are and develop the story. And Rene is a perfect example of that because he, they just, they found him in the middle of it and he was the perfect person to capture because his, I, I want to keep saying performance, but it's not a performance. <laughs> you see the stress and the pure hell that politicians mm-hmm. who, are people of color who are black go through and what they have to put on the line and what they have to choose to fight for to stay in their positions. And that was one of my, we'll get there when we get to quotes. I'm getting ahead of myself again. He's also fun because he wants to instigate all of these conservative boys. And Mm -hmm. he just has, he's maybe the most fun to watch out of the group. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. So first, before we get into quotes, we'll do a couple of our favorite scenes there's so many that stick out to me but what was your favorite scene in the movie i have a few but i was really impressed with how it opened getting to know three of the four subjects in their homes before boy state or seeing what they believe i thought that that was very interesting and a unique way to set it up because 
you go into Boys State knowing exactly how Rob, Ben, and Stephen feel about politics and what their motivations are and why they're inspired or interested in being there. And you get a glimpse into what their what their views are like, which was helpful to me. I, I wanted to know who I was following and what they believed in. But I think that you mentioned earlier that the characters change throughout the week. And they do. But I think that who they were before says so much about the influence that old and current politicians have on young leaders today because those things those beliefs still were true for these characters at the end even mm-hmm. though they changed those things were so ingrained in their character that you're just like oh man wow okay here we are that's why it's so polarizing too because they change but their beliefs are still pretty much the same and that's how people are. I think another really chilling way to start this movie was to talk about Huxley's Brave New World and Orwell's 1984. And I loved that quote that the teacher gives to them in the school. You have the shot of the empty seats and class is starting essentially for the duration of the movie. And to talk about this dystopia, it, it's just very, like you said, 2020, where we are politically, we're divided as a nation, and it just puts you on high alert for what's about to happen. Kind of the same thing for me. I have so many small moments that I love throughout this. The talent show where they sing one of my favorite songs of all time. But I think I may have mentioned this already, but the speech scenes are powerful. Mm-hmm. All of Stevens, he riles the crowd so well. And you can feel the energy in the room. Mm-hmm. And even Renee's first speech, Rob's speeches. I mean, everybody can motivate other people. Some of the other ones are just, you know, them chaining USA and shouting oh abortion and gun rights <laughs> and these key words. But there's nothing behind them. And I think Stephen wants to talk about Napoleon because he was an interesting character in history. And Yeah, so about the speeches too, one thing that... I was blown away by in this movie was how the directors decided to capture masculinity and physical power. That to me is so interesting with men and with boys as, you know, as a woman, I just, it's something I just have never understood of how <laughs> like so much, it's just like a show of physical power. You see them having push up contests and I'm just like, what does that have to do with anything? Why are you doing push-ups right now? Or how they would like keep chanting like USA, USA, or I believe that we will win. But the way that the camera moves around these things, you see just how these boys, young men, believe that masculinity is tied to power and being masculine means being physically strong and showing that off. And I thought that it shows so much about what we value in our politics, unfortunately, and the stereotypes and how we view gender and what makes a good leader. It just, it really threw me for a loop. I didn't expect it. And it was, it was pretty cool. It was, I didn't love it. It made me like sick, but (laughs) it was interesting (laughs) to see that. We have to get into quotes because a lot of this is represented by what they're saying. So that directly to that, one of the boys at one point says, our masculinity shall not be infringed. And that was a big nails on the chalkboard moment. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm going to throw up right now. 
So yeah, let's just go down through these quotes that stood out to us. So the first quote that I had written down was actually one that Ben says when we get to know him. And he says, I don't think of myself as white. I think of myself as American. It was a good entry point into knowing how these characters think about identity, how they think about race. So going back to Rob, he says this at one point about the whole experience. I'm playing this like a game. This is a very conservative group. My stance on abortion would not line up with the guys out there. This is like a big twist. It's a huge moment. In what we learn. That's politics. Sometimes you can't win on what you believe in your heart. You can't win on a minority opinion in a democracy. Whew. Pin drop. <laughs> but that's so true. It's that you have to align yourself with what is going to get you elected. And the fact that he sees this is really important. I think that's telling but the fact that it's reality is another slightly disheartening moment. It's This moment for me was a game changer in the film for two reasons. The first was that when I heard he was actually pro-choice, I was surprised and happy to hear it. But then on the other end, I thought, you know, Rob throughout this reminded me a little bit of a politician like a Mitt Romney type of politician where... What ended up happening when he said that was I just thought, you know, if you, this charismatic, privileged, straight white man, can't feel comfortable and confident standing up in your beliefs, who can? Like, who's going to fight for us? Like, you're the one who has the power. You're the one who has to say something. So say it. You can't be afraid. It was just one of those things where it was just, you know, and I'm we're talking a lot about politics in this this episode but (laughs) it's hard not to it's hard not to but it reminded me of you know when when trump got elected there were people who had faith that there were republicans who would stand up to him and that hasn't happened there have been but it's been but broadly no like not enough to make a difference and it it reminded me of that moment it's like well then why are you here if you can't fight for what you believe in why are you here so this relates to i'll just mention both of them now contrasting statements by Stephen and Ben, both telling. So Ben says, a message of unity, as good as it sounds, and as good as it ultimately is for our country, isn't winning anyone any elections. You have to use personal attacks, and you have to find divisive issues in order to differentiate yourself at all. Which, he runs a smear campaign during the movie, and that is one form of politics. And I think that's such a strong preference for many, because... It's dirty, but you're getting your point across and you're getting people to your side. On the other hand, Stephen says, we need to show what we can do if we talk to each other and work together. Boy State was a chance to learn from each other and hear from the other side without screaming and yelling on a Facebook post. Totally different. Mm -hmm. Like you said, altruistic. He wants to hear what people feel and he wants to do the right thing. And I think that's what it comes down to for me is that I want what is right. And I think too, like, thinking about the Rob quote I thought to myself you know what though like this is a a boy who's in high school who already is at a point in his life where he can look at himself and say this is what I believe and this is why I chose to act differently and he's able to think that way so that in a weird way gives me hope that later on down the line he might do what he he believes in he might you know think that it's an issue that's more important to him Yeah, when I was 17, I had no idea about politics. I also was just not politically motivated, and that's privilege. 
but I really didn't come into wanting to learn about politics and knowing everything until really recently. So like maybe these boys have 10 years on me and just thinking about all the ways that I've changed and that they will change over the next decade. You can only hope, like you said, the the movie leaves you with this hopefulness and that's all you can really do is that you want them to make the right decisions. I think too, going back to another Rob quote, I think a lot of his quotes really stuck with me because they were so layered and made me think, and he has one where he said, kind of jokingly, he's like, turns out senators are about as tall as I am, just regular people. And on, <laughs> at one point you're, you think like, oh my God, yeah, you know, they, they are just like regular people making these huge decisions. But it was also such an interesting comment to make because these boys are realizing that like how much power they have and how politicians, they're not these gods on a pedestal. They're normal people who have flaws and weak motivations no matter where they are on the spectrum of their beliefs. Right. They're all flawed, just like these boys are. Which leads into a Rene quote from the end as well. He goes, he's a fantastic politician, but I don't think that's a compliment either. I loved that one. (laughs) (laughs) Another Rene one that I thought was good. He says, at first I thought this was a conservative indoctrination camp. No, this is what every liberal needs. (laughs) It's to see the other side. And it was his chance to at least open people's minds into broader thinking Mm -hmm. and more critical thinking. Right. And it it goes perfectly, I think, with the Stephen quote of when he says we need to show what we can do if we talk to each other and work together, that it's the same idea, right? It's like we are so tempted to stay in our bubbles where everyone thinks the same way that we do. But in order Mm -hmm. to make change, we have to at least be able to understand or try to understand where other people are coming from if we're going to make any kind of change. Another one that I thought was funny, I don't remember who says this, but someone says, weak men simply create chaos. (laughs) Yep. I mean, (laughs) sure do. (laughs) I mean, that's why we're not going outside right now. And then the other is, there's a point in the film where some of the boys are unhappy with Renee and try to impeach him. And... Renee talks about how he has to kind of adapt to this moment. And he says, I'm going to keep my job if it's the last thing I do. (laughs) And that also is, I think, what a lot of politicians are thinking right now. You know, they could stick their necks out on the line or they could keep their jobs. Right. You know, how do you keep your job as a politician? I think that that's a a scary question to start to entertain. It's all about reelection. And Mm -hmm. you see some of the recent voting and how... Some of the senators didn't want to vote against their party because it would have lost the upcoming re-election, which is disheartening. And But again, that's Mm -hmm. the reality of life. Yeah. So one really surprising thing that happened when I watched this movie, actually, was that I started texting some of my friends who the friends that I texted mostly were guys who were interested in politics. And I said, here's this trailer. This movie's coming out get excited for it. It looks great. And so many of them texted me back and said, oh, I was a delegate at Buckeye Boys State. I was elected governor at Connecticut Boys State in 2012 or whatever. And you are just like, (laughs) wait, what? 
<laughs> like this I had is the a same big thing. thing. Yeah. I had a couple of friends like, "Oh, did you do it in Ohio?" It's like, "No." They're like, "Oh yeah, I did it." Wait, really? Like I why? Was the part. What? It's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on." <laughs> we have to discuss. So, if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would you give it? I know there's a lot of awards potential here, so mm-hmm. Yeah. I would definitely give it best documentary. I think this is an easy best documentary pick. To be mm-hmm. fair, I haven't seen many documentaries this year, actually. I think I've only seen this one and Miss Americana. Jeez. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's not setting you up. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, Boy State and Miss Americana are both about people of varying levels of maturity and privilege finding their political voices. But if I had to, I think because I could say best picture, but I'm not confident enough with what else is coming to say that so i would definitely say best documentary what about you if i'm giving it an oscar totally documentary will be nominated i think there is a very very strong chance that it earns a nomination for picture and i really hope it does i hope we get 10 this year even though the requirement for 10 pictures doesn't start this year Mm -hmm. in terms of the history of that happening this hasn't happened before at the oscars sure hasn't documentaries have been nominated for other categories, but not picture. So The Quiet One was nominated for screenplay, Navajo for cinematography, Woodstock for three, editing and sound along with documentary, An Inconvenient Truth and RBG, both for original song, and then Honeyland from this past year was the first documentary to be nominated for international feature film. So I think that's interesting. And I read an article on IndieWire from 2010 about the mass appeal that documentaries pretty much have to have to get that picture nomination. And An Inconvenient Truth was up there, March of the Penguins, and I think Boy State is going to have the appeal. I don't know about Apple TV Plus's subscriber count, but I think this is definitely going to be talked about for a few months for sure. Wouldn't it be funny if Apple TV Plus got Best Picture before Netflix? <laughs> I think that one thing, too, to think about, Boys State, in a lot of ways, besides being a documentary, is the perfect Oscar movie. It is impossible mm-hmm. to stop thinking about it. It stays with you. It has really compelling characters. It is emotional. And it's something that I think... The political angle's tough because I think that sometimes that's not what people love all the time. They want something that is like sugar-coated and easy to take in. But Parasite Mm -hmm. wasn't that. And I think that so sometimes the Academy, it gives us these glimmers of hope and we hang on to them. And right now I'm still, you know, on the high from Parasite. And I think that this is kind of that perfect bridge between your classic Oscar movie and something really new and inventive and exciting. And I hope it does it. Do you realize that five months ago from today, Parasite won Best Picture? Oh my God. It wasn't even half a year ago. Times have changed. Oh my goodness. (laughs) No, but that's exactly right. And I mentioned it last time at the very end. And Parasite is so political. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's a lot more overt at what it does. And you have to find it if you are seeking for it. If you want an easier picture Mm -hmm. about this 
crazy story, you can have that too. Mm -hmm. And it is more in your face here, but it's a documentary Mm -hmm. about politics. And I think still the commentary is comparable. I think that one thing that's tough that we have to think about is if we do end up having a combined Oscars, a 2020 and 2021 Oscars, I think it's going to be much tougher for it to crack the best picture lineup. But I think if we are just going with this year, I think it it has a great chance and it definitely has a case. I can't really envision a year without it on my top 10 at the end, really, especially with what I've seen this year. Oh, my God. Right. (laughs) It's number one for now and it might be for a while. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we, as you can tell, highly recommend Boy State stream this wonderful collaboration from Apple TV Plus and A24 on Apple TV Plus tomorrow or if you've already seen it and you've joined us for the conversation watch it again because multiple viewings are encouraged it's it's very complex and you can get more out of it each time and maybe watching it for the third time this week (laughs) we'll see (laughs) so we're bringing back another segment on this day august 13th alfred hitchcock was born wow in 1899 icon Amazing. What an icon. So I have a question for you. If you had to recommend one Hitchcock movie to our listeners to watch, which one would you pick? You could probably guess my pick, but this was one of the first movies that I was terrified to my core by, and that is Rear Window. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Classic horror film. Even the remake of Disturbia was amazing. Oh, I love Disturbia, which I too. Which <laughs> But James Stewart as this guy in a wheelchair who is confined to his apartment and he starts spying on his other neighbors and notices a murder happen and mm-hmm. he tries to kind of solve it and figure it out is keeps you on the edge of your seat. And there are so many good Hitchcock movies. So many. And talk about also right now being trapped in your apartment. Very timely. Mm-hmm. I always think about Grace Kelly in Rear Window, too. She's just so beautiful and has the most amazing style and is somehow completely unaffected by the humidity that is killing Jimmy Stewart. (laughs) What's your pick for this? So my pick, I would say, is a it's my favorite Hitchcock other than Rear Window, and that is Rebecca. Oh, have you seen Rebecca? I have. It's been a long time. Yeah. It is so good. I have a giant poster of it in my apartment that is really retro and cool. I love it. Rebecca is filled with suspense. It's moody. It has Joan Fontaine, Laurence Olivier. It has Judith Anderson as Mrs. Danvers, who's my favorite character in it. And it has a lot of twists, brilliant performances, very spooky. Mm -hmm. I love it. The book is also great. But one of the main reasons that I picked it is that this week I saw something very disturbing on Twitter. I was just going to ask you about this. (laughs) And the disturbing thing that I saw on Twitter were the photos from the upcoming remake of Rebecca by Ben Wheatley, starring Army Hammer and Lily James. I love Lily James, but why are you remaking Rebecca? And the look, it just looked so wrong to me. Like, it was just not the mood that I was expecting. And... I love this movie so much and I just am I'm disappointed because I think if you're going to remake it do what they did with Disturbia you know make it modern day make it different don't make it 
it looks like it's just trying to be kind of the same, but totally wrong. I'm nervous for it. Right. And that's kind of like really the biggest and maybe only misstep from Spike Lee is remaking Old Boy, which is an incredible, incredible movie by Park Chan-wook. No remake ever needed to be made. And James Broslin, everything from the trailer, I think I tried watching it too, and it just didn't hold up. So I feel the same. If they can't emulate Hitchcock in this, it's just going to be a major flop. Mm-hmm. So hard. And I want to be excited for it. Again, you know how I feel about period films, but <laughs> this one left me not wanting to return to Manderley. Hitchcock doesn't make a period film. He makes a suspenseful yes. horror. Yes. And you're like looking at these pictures. I'm immediately turned off by it. Especially <laughs> my... you, right? Oh my God. Exactly. My <laughs> falling asleep previous opinions yet? and fall... <laughs> it's like a melatonin gummy. So <laughs> there's so many other good Hitchcocks, Rope, Psycho, mm-hmm. The Birds. Uh, vertigo. Vertigo. So watch something in honor of this wonderful man. Yes. And on our next episode, we are going to be doing another VOD drop. We had more movies come out in VOD. The Rental, She Dies Tomorrow, Relic, and maybe another one or two, depending on what our watching schedules look like. <laughs> <laughs> there have definitely been a lot out there. And yeah, I, ha- I have feelings about these. So I do too. It'll be good to talk about them. <laughs> I'm excited. Keep my opinions from you as best I can. Most yeah. most of them I really haven't, no, but <laughs> no creeping on letterbox. No creeping on letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. Had a great time getting all of this out. Finally, it's been a while, and we will see you all next week. Wear your masks. Stay safe. Thank you all for joining us. We hope that you love Boy State. We certainly did, and we'll be continuing to talk about it. Go celebrate Hitchcock's birthday, social distancing, wearing your masks. Thank you, guys.